The scripture reading for today is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, keep your Bibles or your iPhones open or unlocked to that part of the scripture. Let's take a second and pray, and then we will jump in and see what God has for us tonight. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this part of the Bible well as we conclude tonight this series on your kingdom and the values of your kingdom. We ask for your spirit to fill us, not just with knowledge that's going to go in one ear and out the other, for that's not really knowledge, but with knowledge and insight that will change us, that will make us different people. As we read in these verses, we are one new man, one new humanity through faith in Jesus. And so we pray that that would more and more be visibly expressed here at Christ Church and in the church in San Antonio and beyond. Lord, help us tonight to believe that the gospel is true and that you are for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about eight years old, I took a family vacation um, during one summer. It wasn't really a vacation. It was one of those trips where you go to a different part of Texas to visit family. My grandparents lived in Tyler in East Texas, and uh, we went to visit my grandparents, and we were there for about a week, and after a couple of days, we were bored. I was about eight years old, and I had two younger brothers, and it was very, very hot, and we decided we wanted to go swimming. And so my mom took us out to the nearest swimming pool, public swimming pool that we could find, and we walked in, and uh, my two brothers immediately went and jumped in the pool and started having fun, and I was at this point old enough to notice something about the situation that I found myself in. It's the first time in my life where I remember distinctly being in the racial minority. In fact, I was probably, me and my brothers and my mom were the only white people at the entire swimming pool. There was over 100 people there. And uh, when we walked in, I noticed this. I don't think my brothers noticed it yet, but it was kind of one of those moments where everyone just sort of stops and looks at you. Like, whoa, we didn't expect to see you. We didn't think you were going to be at a place like this. And I remember that moment because I think it was one of the first times where I realized that In some parts of our country, really in most parts of our country, there's still a good bit of tension that exists, of even animosity that exists between the various races in our country. I had grown up, obviously, as a white person in a white majority culture, and I had never really experienced until that moment for the first time what it was like to be in the minority racially. And I got to say, I felt tension. I felt awkward. I felt uncomfortable. It wasn't the last time that I've felt that way, but it was the first time. I wonder if any of you have similar experiences, no matter your ethnicity or the color of your skin. My guess is that you do. What does the Bible have to say about the issue of race? What does the Bible have to say about the problem 
of racism. That's what we want to talk about for a couple of minutes here tonight. We're concluding this series called Kingdom Come. And what we've seen in this series is that the kingdom of God, which you are a part of if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is the coming reign of God, the rule of God over this entire universe. And when Jesus came the first time, the future reign of God broke into the present. And Jesus is at this very moment by his spirit gathering a people for himself, citizens for his kingdom, and he calls the people in his kingdom to live in a distinct way that's counter to the culture that we find ourselves in here. The kingdom has certain values to it, you see. And that's what we've been thinking about for the last four weeks together. And we want to conclude tonight by thinking about the issue of race and the subject of racism and what being a part of the kingdom of God has called us to in that sort of scenario. And we've really focused in this series on the issues of justice and mercy And I know that it goes without saying that racism is a major justice issue in our society. Even in recent weeks and recent months, we Americans in particular have been reminded again of the continuing simmering tension in our culture that exists between the races, between black and white, between Hispanic and white, between many And I want you to understand that racism is a very, very important social and cultural issue that you as a person in this country and you as a citizen of the city of San Antonio should be concerned about. But more importantly, I want you to hear tonight. I want you to hear from the pulpit of a church with a white preacher that's predominantly white that racism is not just a social issue. Racism is fundamentally a gospel issue. It's an issue that is a direct corollary of how we understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for these next few minutes, I want to take just a brief look with you at these verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, which Marianne read for us. And think together about how life in the kingdom, how the gospel seeks to drive away the evil of racism. This significant, historically potent, bloody, culture-spanning, history-spanning problem. What does the gospel have to say about it? Well, there are many things that we could say at this point, but let's hone in on these four or five verses here. And I want to show you two things. Okay. Very basically first sin is what creates racial division and hostility. Sin creates racial division and hostility. That's the first point. And the second point is simply this. The gospel creates racial unity and peace. Sin creates racial division and hostility. The gospel creates racial unity and peace. Okay. So first sin creates racial division and hostility here in Ephesians two, we find the apostle Paul at a point in this letter where in chapter one, he's in one of the best ways in the whole Bible laid out for the readers of this letter, what the Christian faith is all about what the gospel is, what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And then in the first part of chapter 2, he's, he's elaborated on that by saying, here's what the gospel does to you as an individual. Here's how it impacts you. It gives you new life. You are brought back from the dead in your inner person, and you're seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. By grace, you have been saved. Amazing verses. 
And beginning in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul transitions from speaking about how the gospel impacts the individual to how the gospel impacts the community. How the gospel impacts the community. That's what he's getting at where we pick up here in verse 14. And the main thing, the main point in the latter half of Ephesians 2 that Paul wants Christians to understand is that the gospel of Jesus creates a profound unity where there was once a profound disunity. The gospel creates harmony in relationships that were formerly full of hostility. That's what he's getting at here when he says that Jesus is our peace in verse 14. He has made us, that is Jew and Gentile, two different ethnic groups. He has made them both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul's saying here is that because of human rebellion... Because of our sin, which every single human is guilty of, there is hostility in man's relationship with God. There is a vertical hostility. But there is also, he says, a horizontal hostility. Sin creates hostility between you and God. And sin creates hostility between you and others, and even between your people, your tribe, your race, and other people's tribes and races. But the cross of Jesus, Paul says, is intended to reconcile us both vertically and horizontally. We'll talk more about that in a second, but for now I want you to see that an implication... One implication of our alienation from God by our sin is that there exists between us horizontally, between various people groups, between various ethnicities, between various races, there exists animosity, division, and hostility. That's what Paul's getting at here, referring to the great ethnic strife or conflict that existed 2,000 years ago in his day. It was between Jews and Gentiles. When he refers there in verse 14 to the wall of hostility, a Jewish person would have understood exactly what that meant. Paul is actually referring to the literal structure of the ancient temple in the middle of the city of Jerusalem that Jews in his day would go worship at. In that temple, there were various walls The first wall separated the Jew from the Gentile. It was a racial barrier. People who weren't descendants of Abraham, people who weren't followers of the Torah, could not enter unless they converted to Judaism. And then there was another wall. And then there was another wall that only priests could enter into. The literal structure of the temple was a representation in Paul's day of the separation that existed between God and man and between man and man. But here's the key thing to get. What had happened is that God initially intended the temple to physically demonstrate what we need to do to get right with God. It was intended to physically demonstrate man's separation from God. But in Paul's day, the Jewish people of his time had twisted that and had begun to believe that the temple was a physical demonstration of their own ethnic superiority compared to every other, every other ethnicity or race on the face of the earth. The Jewish people of Paul's day, in their sinfulness, were racially and ethnically charged enough to believe that God had chosen them as his own people 
Because they in some way deserved it. God had made them his own. Because they were inherently somewhat superior to other people. They had come to believe that if you have the blood, the literal DNA of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, flowing through your veins, that makes you more acceptable before God. And so when Paul writes this letter, the major racial and ethnic conflict of his day was wickedly and grossly misrepresented in this symbolism of the temple. The biggest problem that the Jews had here, I want you to get this, the biggest problem that led to their racism, that led to their hostility for other people groups, wasn't necessarily how bad or wicked they had been. The biggest problem that led to the Jews' racism was their own sense of moral superiority. Their biggest problem wasn't their badness. It was their pretended goodness. Their biggest disobedience was that they thought their obedience made them superior, you see. And they eventually were led to believe that they were superior to all Gentiles, to any non-Jewish person as a race because of who they were intrinsically. That's what Paul's getting at here when he refers to the wall of hostility. Here's the principle you need to get. Moralism and self-righteousness is what leads to racism and a sense of ethnic superiority. And I want you to get this. I think this is an important principle to hear. People in their rebellion against God naturally want to run towards people that they believe are like them and that look like them and value what they value. And they want to naturally run away from people that they believe are different from them, that don't look like them and don't value what they value. One pastor put it this way. We tend to be drawn to people who uncritically reflect back everything we value about ourselves. And we tend not to gather around people who fail to reflect back what we value about ourselves. Now, racism is perhaps the best example of that in the sorry history of humanity. I mean, what is racism after all? It's the belief that you and other people who externally have the same skin color or the same ethnic lineage as you do are inherently better and have more value than those who are not like you. You see, racism is a self-perpetuating manifestation of the way the human heart inherently operates apart from God's grace. The human heart inherently thinks, I am good enough. I am better than that person. I am superior and my people are superior. My way is the only way and the best way. Racism inherently brings disunity and division because it's an inherent manifestation of our own sense of inward moral superiority. And because all that is true, it is one of the clearest examples of what it means to be anti-gospel. It's wrong because it's a denial of the very heart of Christianity that we relate to God and we relate to others on the principle of grace. 
and not on the principle of any works or self-worth. Racism is a wicked and horrible sin that we must destroy among us if we are to be faithful to Jesus. I know this is a tough subject, um, but I have to ask this. Is there racism in your heart that needs to be destroyed by the gospel? Tim Keller tells a story about when he was a seminary student and he had a good friend who was an African-American student and he and his wife Kathy would have this gentleman over to their house for dinner periodically and one time they were having dinner together and they were talking about the way different cultures and different races do things. And they were friends. They had a good relationship. There was no animosity there. But the African-American brother began to laugh to himself. And, and Tim said, what is it you're laughing at? And he said, you know what's funny about white people is that you just assume that the way your culture does things is the way to do things. And so you'll say, what's the black way to do this? Or what's the Asian way to do this? Or how do Hispanic people do this? But you assume that the white way to do it is the normative way to do it. If you're here and you're a minority, you've probably experienced that before. And I feel like all of our hearts, especially if we're a part of the racial majority, if we're white, to some degree are like that. And so we have to ask ourselves some very difficult but some very important questions. Like this, do you assume that? Do you assume that the way your people do it is the only or the best way to do it? Do you uncritically adopt the attitudes, the values, the behaviors, and the characteristics of people who look and talk and think just like you? Do you make immediate snap judgments about someone you have just met based on the color of their skin? Do you use derogatory language or laugh at racially slanted jokes and stereotypes in private? As a white person, do you roll your eyes when you hear a minority speak about the racism in this country? As a minority, do you immediately judge a white person as a racist due to residual bitterness in your life from past bad experiences? For all of you, are you willing to see the world from the eyes of a different race from you, especially you white people? Are we willing to see the world from the eyes of the racial minority? Do you listen to those of a different ethnicity whose opinions are different from your own? Or do you immediately dismiss their thoughts? The first step in moving past the hostility and division of racism is to admit, listen, it's to admit that at the root of our hearts, apart from Jesus' grace, we all believe to a certain degree in those ways. Matt Chandler recently said, only those who are a part of the racial majority are aloof enough to claim that racism is no longer around as a problem. Racism is a real and very serious problem, yet the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom have the resources and the power to destroy the hostility and the division of racism. So we see first that sin causes racial division and hostility. And I want to show you secondly that the gospel creates racial unity and peace. That's Paul's main point here. In fact, that's the word he repeats again and again. You see it a multiple, multiple times in these verses. The word is peace. 
the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ brings, Paul is saying to you here, Christian, it brings peace between you and God. He's saying to you here, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that it brings peace with you and God where there was once enmity and division and it brings peace between you and others. It brings a vertical peace and a horizontal peace where there was once vertical hostility and horizontal hostility. That's what he says there in verse 14. Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall. He has created in himself one new man in the place of two. That is unbelievably strong language. Paul's literally saying that he's making one new humanity. In a sense, it's a new spiritual ethnicity, a new spiritual race. You know, I heard another pastor use this illustration. The new thing that God is doing in forming the people for himself, it's new, like, not like a 2014 Ford Explorer is new, you know, compared to the 2012 model. It's new like a Model T Ford was new back in the day. It is brand new. It's something that's never been seen before. It wipes away the hostility that existed between God and the hostility that existed between us. How? How does the gospel wipe away racial hostility? Well, the gospel kills it. That's what verse 16 says. Through the cross, God in the body of Jesus killed the hostility. Now, the only person that died at the cross was Jesus. And so what God is saying here, listen, what the Bible is teaching us is that when Jesus died on the cross, God is is pouring out his good and just anger against our sin against God and against our racial and ethnic sin against one another on Jesus. He says that Jesus became enmity. Jesus is taking in his death all of the condemnation, all of the wrath, all of the anger, all of the hatred, all of the bitterness and discord and wickedness and division and murder and bloodshed and wars and genocide that have been fought because people have different colors of skin. Jesus is taking all of that on himself in the cross. The rage and anger that racism causes is poured out on the head of Jesus when he dies. And so the hostility is dead. The hostility that existed between us and God is gone. And there is now peace. And the hostility that exists between different people groups who are naturally drawn apart from each other is wiped out and there is now peace. You see, when you believe the gospel and understand the gospel, and only then can you really begin to root out the inherent superiority complex that exists in all of our hearts. Because when you look at Jesus dying on the cross by faith, you see there that that is what my sin deserved. In fact, I am so bad. I am so guilty. I'm so rebellious against my father and creator that Jesus had to die that bloody death on the cross so that my sin can be paid for. That's what my sin deserves. So how can I ever believe that I'm better than anyone else based on something as silly as the people group I was born into? 
The gospel levels the playing field by telling us that all of us are just as deserving of condemnation and separation from God as every other person, no matter their race or their language or their ethnicity. But the gospel also tells us that you are just as welcome into God's family and into God's kingdom as every other person, no matter their race or their language or their ethnicity. You see, when Jesus dies, you see how bad your sin is. And when Jesus dies, you see how great his love is. And when you begin to see that your sin renders you completely unable to say that I'm any better than any other person on the planet because of some intrinsic worth in myself. And when you see that even though that's true, Jesus was still willing to take your punishment on himself, then you're able to be a part of what Paul calls here the one new man. You see, the cross shows you what Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, people who are a part of God's kingdom understand that what Jesus has done at the cross completely levels the playing field. No person is any better or any worse than any other person before God. And no people group is any more or less deserving than any other before God. Everyone is so sinful that they deserve the death Jesus died. And everyone is so loved that they get the forgiveness Jesus brings. The church alone understands this. And so listen, the church must be the place. The church must be the people where the kind of hostility that Paul speaks about here is wiped out. Tim Keller says that the job of the church is to show the world that people who cannot live in love and unity outside of Christ can do so in Christ. You see, the gospel wipes out the hostility that existed between God and us and the hostility that exists between one another. And so before we wrap up, let me just make a couple of points here uh, by way of application, and then I want to close with a real quick story, okay? A couple of things, and there's a lot I could say and I want to say this as humbly as I can because I also um, need to learn much about how to relate to brothers and sisters in Christ who share a different story, a different ethnicity, and a different background from me. But as I reflected this week, here's a couple of thoughts that I had. First, white people. Please, please understand that in our particular story, in our particular country, with our particular history, you are a privileged ethnicity. White privilege and the history of race in our country is a real thing. Please understand that. And if you understand that, please, in the love of Jesus, show empathy and understanding for those who do not, who were not born as a part of just what happens to be the racial majority in our country and who have been a part of a long lineage of significant violence and oppression upon their people. If you're white, please be humble and gentle and willing to learn more and more from our minority brothers and sisters. If you're here and you're a minority, Asian, Hispanic, African-American, please be careful. <laughs> please be careful not to allow racial bitterness to fester. And let me also say humbly, please be patient with us white people. <laughs> please realize that we love Jesus and we want to see the sort of unity that Paul talks about here worked out in the church. But in the process, we're going to do stupid stuff. And we're going to say stupid stuff. 
So I would urge you, please, to be patient with us because Jesus is patient with us. To be willing to tell us your story, tell us your experiences, tell us your struggles because we long to hear them and we want to understand. If you're here and uh, you don't have many friends who are of a different ethnicity or a different race, then practically I would encourage you to go find friends who aren't like you. You think, Luke, are you telling me you sh- I should like call the black guy or the Hispanic guy that I know and invite him to lunch? And I would say, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, it might be a little awkward. But yes, I think that the gospel calls us intentionally outward to seek friendships with those who by nature are not like us and don't have the same story we have. In fact, only the gospel allows that to happen in ways that are beautiful and lovely. Only the gospel allows you to look around and say, there's no reason I should be hanging out at all with people like this. They're not my age. They're not my color. They don't have my background. But I love them because we're one in Jesus. So go out and try to make friends with people that aren't like you. Seek friendships with those of other races. Seek friendships with those with different stories. Seek friendships with those in the name of Jesus who you might have significant disagreements with about some things, but you have serious unity with in Jesus. The church should be the spearhead of racial, of racial reconciliation in our city, in our country, on this planet. The gospel calls us to that. And if we are living in the kingdom, it will be a deep concern of ours because it's a deep concern of God's. In uh, Catherine Stockett's book, The Help, which was made into a movie a couple of years ago. She has a section in the story where the African-American housemaid in the 60s in Jackson, Mississippi, during the height of racial tension and strife in our own country, is telling a story to the two little girls that she cares for on the plantation. And um, I want to read to you, just by way of conclusion, one of the stories that she tells and the response of the two girls. Here's what Catherine Stockett writes. Once upon a time, there was two girls, I say. This is the maid speaking. One girl had black skin and one girl had white. Mae Mobley, one of the children, looked up at me and she was listening. Little curl, the little colored girl say to the little white girl, how come your skin be so pale? White girls say, I don't know. How come your skin be so black? What do you think that means? But neither one of the little girls knew. So the little white girl said, well, let's see. You got hair and I got hair. And I gave Mae Mobley a little tussle on her head. The little colored girl said, I got a nose and you got a nose. And I gave her a little snout a tweak. She got up to reach up and do the same to me. Little white girl say, I got toes and you got toes. And I do the little thing with her toes, but she can't get to mine because I got my white work shoes on. So we're the same, just a different color, said the little colored girl. The little white girl, she agreed and they was friends. The end. Baby girl, just look at me, she said. Lord, that was a sorry story, if I ever heard one. Wasn't even no plot to it. But May Mobley, she smiled and she said, tell it again. You see, the gospel calls us to tell again and again the truth that we are in Jesus, one new humanity. May there be among us No seeds of bitterness and hatred. As the great Dr. King said, may we judge one another not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character in Jesus Christ. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace, which comes to us who are chief sinners, us who are rebels against your will, us who have turned and run and sought our own way. Thank you for grace and forgiveness, which comes to us who don't like people who aren't like us. Thank you that there is mercy found for those of us who have been guilty in the past of judging and condemning and running away from others because of the color of their skin or the way that they talk or the family that they're from. Thank you that there is mercy in the gospel, mercy that is powerful enough to create out of significant hostility, out of centuries-long conflict between two different people groups, between two different ethnicities in the gospel, the mercy of Jesus is able to make one new humanity. Father, if we are believers in Jesus, we are indeed a part, a part of that great kingdom, the great one new humanity that you are making. And, oh God, we ask that we would more and more reflect the truth that is spiritually true of us already, already, that this church and that these individual people and that this city would be united racially. We pray for an end to racism in our hearts and in our city. We pray that you would help us to lead the charge in this, God. We pray that you would lead us to confession and to repentance if we have been guilty of this in the past. That you would make us, Father, people whose hearts are soft, whose hearts are kind towards those who are different, towards those who have different stories, towards those whose pasts are different, towards those whose people are different. Oh God, we were once far from you and yet you have brought us near. Help us to draw near God to those who by the nature of this culture should be far from us. Oh God, do this by your grace, we pray. And ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.